This is KMTT. Today, on Mondays, we have a shear of Harav Yemen Tavori, who this year will be examining different responses, Shalotu Chuvot, from the major ones from the 18th and 19th century. Harav Tavori. Today we'll discuss the Chuvas of Rabbi Shlomo Kugar. We discussed some of his firm last week. Today I'd like to turn to one particular sefer, a very unusual sefer of Chuvas Ha'elef Lechashlomo. When you see the title of the sefer, you would assume that the reason they chose the title is because it includes a thousand chuvos of Rabbi Shlomo Kluger, Ha'elef Lechashlomo. To our surprise, when you open up the Sefer, you see that his son actually worked on the Sefer and says that he collected from his father's chuvos on all the Chalakim of Shulchan Aruch, 1,200 chuvos. That seems to be a tremendous amount of chuvos in one small volume. They're rather short chuvos, but nevertheless, 1,200 chuvos written by the man. When you then continue to read the introduction, you find that the number 1,200 is not precise. There are actually 2,000 chuvos in O'elef Lechashlama. Naturally, we chose a few of the more relevant or perhaps interesting chuvos to discuss this week. In Ha'elef Lechashlama, in the very, very beginning, Tshuva Gimel. Reb Shlomo Kugar was asked about wearing a hat, wearing a yarmulke. The writer to Reb Shlomo Kugar had suggested there might be a distinction between a Tamad Chacham and a person who's not a Tamad Chacham. Only a Tamad Chacham is required to walk B'Kisri Rosh and only he is forbidden to walk B'Gili Rosh. And he said, because the concept of Shechina al-Rosho, the Shechina is above him, really applies only to a Tamad Chacham. Rabbi Shlomo Kluger rejected that idea completely. He said, that would be the opposite. Because if that would be true, then a person who would be insistent upon wearing a hat would be because he considered himself a Tamad Chacham. And that would be great hubris, great pride, you are Gava. Now we also know that a person who is a Balgaiva, it's as if he pushes away the Shechina. So if this Tamad Chacham, or the person who says it's Tamad Chacham, puts on a hat because he's displaying the fact that it's Tamad Chacham, it's as if he's removing the Shechina. So what would be the point of putting your head, putting your head cover on, which would mean that the Shechina is on top of you? As to the issue itself of wearing a yarmulke, Reb Shlomo Kugel points out that many people have discussed this in the past, but I think there's a distinction between the concept of gili kol harosh and gili miktsas harosh. There is one idea of putting on a partial head covering, miktsas harosh, and there's another concept of putting on kisli kol harosh, to cover your entire head. And he said, when the Gemara says you should not walk for Amos, without a head covering, so less than four Amos is permitted, 
He mean he thinks it means if you wear a yarmulke, what we would call mikzas harosh, then you're allowed to walk up to four amos. But more than that, you would not be allowed to walk unless you have mikzas, you have kisui kol harosh. And then he talks about the fact about kriyashma. How should you say kriyashma? But he he thought that this distinction between kisui kol harosh and Kisui Miktas Harosh would answer all the questions, all the different sources that we could raise in this issue. According to this Shuvah Rabbi Shlomo Kluger, not only does a person have to wear yarmulke anytime he goes anyplace, more than Arba Amos, less than Arba Amos, he must also wear yarmulke, but more than Arba Amos, he has to wear a yarmulke that's Mechasa Kolarosh. Of course, the issue of yarmulkes and covering your head has been a discussion for many, 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 many years. Many poskim have pointed out that today, irrespective of the particular halachic issue of how important it is according to this din or that din, it became an identifying symbol of who is who considers himself as a religious Jew, and therefore the whole attitude might change. It's well known that some people even suggested that since Jews cover their head as opposed to non-Jews, it might even be a law of b'chol koseyem, that a Jew should cover his head. But this particular tshuva of Shlomo Kugra became a famous tshuva, not only because it's in Halef Lechashlomo, but because it was dealt with in the first tshuva printed in Igros Moshe. Rabbi Moshe Feinstein, in the first volume of Arachayim, the very first tshuva, has the very famous discussion about wearing a yarmulke on the street and wearing a yarmulke when you make a bracha. And he begins the tshuva by mentioning the tshuva of Shlomo Kugar. And he argues vehemently against this tshuva of Rabbi Shlomo Kugar. He says it doesn't seem to make any sense at all to distinguish between Miksas Harosh and Gilui Kol Harosh. At the end, he wants to even suggest that Rabbi Shlomo Kugar, even according to Rabbi Shlomo Kugar, he reinterpreted what Rabbi Shlomo Kugar meant, or at least what Rav Moshe thought he meant. And then he said, even according to Rav Shlomo Kluger, when he said, you have to have Kisri Kol Harosh, it meant Rov Harosh. Now, that's, of course, a big Chiddush of Rav Moshe Feinstein to interpret what Rav Shlomo Kluger said. And according to that, then a person would have to wear a yarmulke that covers Rov Harosh. When the Rov would be uncovered, that would be considered Megula Kula. But if it's Rov Mechusa, that would be considered enough. Then Reb Moshe says that what would happen if it would be exactly 50-50. Nevertheless, Reb Moshe Paskin, Halacha even if you wish to follow the opinion of Reb Shlomo Kugar, you should wear a yarmulke or a hat that covers most of your, of your head, but that Moshe said you don't have to paskin like Rabbi Shlomo Kugar because it's a minority opinion, a das yachid. And we're not talking about a daraisa, we're not even talking about a drabanan, we're talking about a minig maminik mimidas chasidus. Even though Jews today identify themselves by wearing a yarmulke, so he says as long as you wear a yarmulke that's considered your head is covered, Rabbi Moshe said that's enough. What Rabbi Shlomo Kugar meant actually is not that simple as Rav Moshe Feinstein forces himself to say, 
But uh, nevertheless, the distinction between Mixas Kolarosh, Mixas Harosh, and Kisle Kolarosh is found in this Shuvah of Shlomo Kuger and required a great deal of analysis by Reb Moshe Feinstein, who dealt with this Shuvah very seriously, even though he felt the bottom line is we wouldn't paskin necessarily like the Psaq of Reb Shlomo Kuger. Another point that I wanted to discuss is a tshuva in number Lamed Vav. And the tshuva there is an interesting question about a certain chazan who had known enemies in the community. When he said the bracha we all know there are variant, variant texts of that bracha. Apparently there was a lot of censorship in that tshuva. And we say, At least certain uh, texts say, Enemies of your nation should be wiped out. This particular chazan said, Of course, that means not only the enemies of the nation, but my personal enemies should also be wiped out. Shlomo Kuger said, this bothered me for many, many reasons. It's interesting to see what the different reasons are. One reason is because even if you would say such a thing, it should be in a Tfilas Yachid and not in a Tfilas Tzibur. Bekol Ram, when you daven for the Tzibur, you're supposed to say only things for Tzorech Rabin. Community issues. But a private issue should not be mentioned at all in a Tfil Bakor Another thing is, Let's remember the famous quote that Bruria discussed. We don't say Yitamu Chotim Minaretz. We don't say the sinners should be wiped out. We say Yitamu Chatoim Minaretz. The sins should be eradicated. So this person referred to the people. That was incorrect. Thirdly, and this Reb Shlomo Kluger considers the crucial point here. A chazan, it says in Shulchan Aruch that a baltfila, before he gets up to Davin, should be careful to remove bad thoughts from his prayer, to remove jealousy, animosity from his prayer. We also learned in Shulchan Aruch that if a person has kavana, not to be motzi someone because he's upset with him, then he's not motzi anybody. Either he's motzi the tzibur, as a tzibur or not. And he says he, he understands the reason according to the Magin Avram because once he has intention not to be motzi, his enemies, it shows that he has not fulfilled the obligation of removing that kinami libo. And in such a case, he's puzzled to be a, a, a shleach tzibur. Obviously, if he meant to say oyevai and he meant oyevai karesu, he had no intention of being motzi, those people. Moreover, they want to answer Amin for that bracha. So they wouldn't be Yotze either. So therefore, he's causing them not to be Yotze Chazaras Hashatz. Since not everybody's Yotze, as we said before, it's either the entire Tzibur or nothing, nobody's Yotze. So we should be very meticulous about such a thing. And Rabbi Shlomo Kluger adds, especially about the bracha of Alamal Shinim. Chazal were very, very meticulous about this bracha, and therefore we should remove this person from being a shlech tzibur, 
But not only that, we should, literally means to chase him, to remove him. This is a very bad thing. The person cannot be a shliach tzibur, and we should be rodefim. Chasusham, I don't mean rodef in a physical sense. The bracha of Malshinim is well known to be a very difficult type of bracha. The Gemara says that when they tried to institute birchas haminim, they needed someone who could formulate it. And they had no one that could formulate, that could write the bracha until they found Shmuel HaKotten, who wrote the bracha of Malshinim. It's known in the name of Rav Kook. I've seen this in the Siddur of Rav Kook. It's interesting for me that it's one of the few places that I know that Rav Soloveitchik quoted Rav Kook. On this bracha, Rav Kook asked, why is it so difficult to write the bracha of Malshinim? They had to look for someone who could formulate this bracha. It's not so difficult to write a tefillah. Uh, today, it's, in Israel, it's one of the famous discussions, who actually wrote the tefillah al-Shlom Amdina? Who is the writer of this tefillah that we say in many shuls, and hopefully in all shuls, on Shabbos, the tefillah al-Shlom Amdina? And there's a whole discussion in Israel. Rav Herzog did it, Agnon did it. It doesn't seem to be the end of the world to find someone who could write a, a tefillah bracha. So why did the Gemara find it so difficult? And Rav Kook explained that in order to write such a tefillah, you had to make sure it was written by a person who had absolutely no personal interest whatsoever. It was not a personal vendetta at all, but rather a person whose kavana was Lashem Shemayim. And when Shmuel HaKotten was the one who said, When your enemy falls, you should not be happy, you should not rejoice. He meant that evil should be eradicated, but not chas v'sham, that a person should enjoy the fact that his enemies suffer. So they felt only such a person who had such midot could be the author of the brach of the mashinim. This, of course, fits in very nicely with Rav Kluger's statement at the end. This brach of minimum one should be very careful about. The Gemara was very careful about it. And therefore, behooves us to make sure that we have no changes in the in the birchas haminim, and a person who did make such a change really should be removed from his position as a shliach tzibur. In another tshuva, Reb Shlomo Kuger in Yeridea, I said this volume of Elif Shlomo is in all the chalakim of Shulchan Aruch. In this volume of uh, Yeridea, he has a question that relates to a certain historical community. Tshuva Reish Nun Zayin. Some people had made a Chabura. They made a, a learning group to learn B'chibur Talmud. They, they got to get a, some sort of a, a work on Gemara, which was in Hebrew, Lashon Ivri. And they studied the works of Rav Moshe Desser. Now, I assume that the Rav Moshe Desser is the one that we know as Rav Moshe Mendelssohn. And we all know that there was a tremendous source of, he was a tremendous source of controversy. Some people did respect him, others rejected him. And here, the, in this particular community, some of the people became extremely upset. They put a cherem on this group that was learning 
the Torah of Rav Moshe Desser, they took the the compositions, the chiburim of Rav Moshe, and they burned it. And then they turned to Rav Shlomo Kugar to ask who was correct. His answer was about the burning one could really raise the issue if that's permitted according to Din. But they should not be blamed for doing it because we know that even Moshe Rabbeinu, the greatest of the great, one time was upset and the Gemara says, Kevon once he became angry, he made a mistake. And therefore, people like us, who do not have that, live on that level at all, in, in a fit of anger, we did what we did, so you, you can't really blame them. And as far as being upset, they're definitely correct. And they asked him, what's so bad about Rabbi Moshe Mendelssohn? This was, as I said, a tremendous controversy. What was so bad about him? Reb Shlomo Kluger says, look at this. We have an a expression found in the Gemara that when we don't know something, we say, Puk ma'amadvar. Go look and see what the community thinks. Kol hamon, kol shakai. The community voice is as if it were the word of the Almighty. And we say, the Jews, somehow we have instincts to know what's true. So, since people speak this way, so negatively about Mendelssohn, it must be true. And therefore, we should not study his works at all. People raise the objection, look, he's a student of the Karban Ha'eda. He's a Talmud of Yaakov. So, Rabbi Shlomo Kluger answered, we found other great people. Achia Shiloni. And he had a student, Yeravah Menevat. We had Antignos Ish and he had students, Tzadik Ubaisos. So, the fact they were great Gedolim doesn't mean their their students are always a uh, righteous people. So, I say, look today at the people who study Reb Moshe Mendelssohn. Who are those people? They're Rishayim. People who study his works will not gain wisdom from it. And only Kale Shebekalim, who really do not observe Torah mitzvahs, study his work. I haven't seen, says Reb Shlomo Kugar, pious Jews that learn him. And therefore, you should run away from his studies, from his teaching, like you would run away from a snake. It's true, I haven't studied his works, and I don't know exactly what's wrong, but I do know one thing. He translated Tanakh into German. That should not have been done. That was, is a chait, vechtias arabim. Because today, it led to the fact that in Hamburg, in Germany, some people wouldn't dive in Germany. In German. And he was the cause of it. Therefore, he is very 
much to be ostracized and his sin is so great and therefore we should not study his works at all. I mentioned before that this is a great source of controversy and other people, other Gedolim have quoted Mendelssohn, have learned things from his Be'ur, especially his Be'ur and Torah. I just quoted this tshuva to show the attitude of Rabbi Shlomo Kluger who was very much upset by the uh, tshuva, by the writings of, of Mendelssohn and rejected it totally. To give a taste of tshuvas on a different chilek of, of Shulchan Aruch, I'd like to quote a tshuva in Evan Ezer. Also, an issue that has come out through the generations. The tshuva number Kuf Ches in Evan Ezer was written to Yerushalayim, to a certain Rav Nisan. Rav Nisan apparently responded to a tshuva of Rabbi Shlomo Kuger, and he thought that he wrote that Rabbi Shlomo Kuger actually made a mistake in the Dvar Mishnah. And Rabbi Shlomo Kuger said, first of all, I write short tshuvas, and I assume that people who are interested will study the sources and understand it, and therefore they'll realize why what I based my psak on. But now, because you asked the question, I'm going to explain to you a little bit. The question was about the today. If a man can force his wife to go on aliyah. Now, of course, this tshuva, this discussion, has been a discussion throughout the ages. And it obviously depends very much on the time, the particular facts that are in, involved, the situation which is involved. But let's remember, we're talking about Rabbi Shlomo Kuger, somewhere, let's say, around the 1800, I don't know exactly when, and the tshuva does not have a date. And the tshuva says that today we paskin that you do not force people to go to live in, in Eretz Israel. And he said, if there would be such a mitzvah today, why is it that the great Hasidic Rebbe's who could go on, on Aliyah, do not. And he quotes, for example, the Chassidah Shereba, Rabbi Yisrael of Ruzhin. Why didn't he go to Eretz Yisrael? So we probably think that today there's no such mitzvah. He also says, even if you do think there's a mitzvah, and you think you can force people to go, that's only when there's a decent parnasa, When the trip is comfortable when there's no need to go begging. But a, a poor person, a poor person who cannot afford it, a person who cannot make a living in Eretz Israel, so there would be no chiyuv uh, to go to live in Israel. He quotes the Gemara, it's better to make Shabbos into a weekday, not have a sudas on Shabbos, than to go begging. So he said the same thing would apply. You don't have to Go in Aliyah. He also adds another point. In Eretz Israel today, in his time, there were people who received what they called, at that certain times, they called Chaluka. They had a certain amount of money that was in a public fund, and people received that much money monthly. 
but more people that come, so the smaller salary that each family will get. So he said, you're causing a damage to the other poor people. So therefore he felt there's no mitzvah. Of course, he quoted the famous Tosfos and Ksubas that since we're not careful, or we're not careful at, at the time, according to Tosfos, it would be difficult to fulfill the mitzvahs of Atalyas Ba'aretz, so then there's no mitzvah to go on, on Aliyah. Even if you would would disagree with that, he says, but still, let's remember, you are hurting other people, the poor people of Eretz Israel. Let's also remember that when you get married, you make it a stipulation to live where she wants in her in her city. Now, it's true that in the time of the Gemara, it says you can force her to go on Aliyah. So that's because in that time, that was customary. So when they got married, it was as if they made a tonight they'll live in that community unless he wants to live in Eretz Israel. But today, when people, the custom is not to force people to go to live in Eretz Israel, and we don't even see the men who are trying to make a big effort to go on Aliyah. So therefore, when he married her originally, it doesn't seem to be with the intention of going on Aliyah, and certainly not with the intention of forcing her. And therefore, I, Reb Shlomo Kluger defends his original tshuva and says today you cannot force someone a husband cannot force his wife to go on Aliyah. Of course, the situation today is different. And many posts can have written about it today in terms of both the idea of fulfilling mitzvahs at which today are not as hard to fulfill as they once were, or what we call sakanas hadrachim, the, uh, the problems of, of traveling today are much safer than they were once upon a time. The, the financial issues of making a living in Eretz Yisrael vis-a-vis are obviously questions that are re-examined in different generations and different poskim have, you know, discussed these issues. Just let's remember that Reb Shlomo Kluger at his time, in his place, really felt that there is no obligation or a husband cannot force his wife, obligate his wife to go in Aliyah. When we discuss the biography of Shlomo Kluger, we know very well that one of the issues that uh, disturbed him very much it was a, he was a big fighter in the cause of shmur, of making handmade matzahs in the very very near the very end of the tshuvas for Elif Lechashlomo there are a number of tshuvas that Reb Shlomo Kluger discusses machine matzahs versus the old fashioned hand matzahs and Rabbi Shlomo Kugar was very, very much uh, takif, very strong in his opinion, that you must have the hand matzahs. But it's interesting to see what the reasons are. Today, when many people discuss what the reasons are that you should have handmade matzahs, the first issue that I think is generally raised today is the concept of lishma. When you make the matzah, we know matzah's mitzvah, according to many Rishonim, hati made l'shem mitzvah's matzah, or l'shem whatever. So when you do l'shma, they argue the machine cannot do l'shma. You would imagine that that would be one of the original reasons for the rejection of machine matzahs. Lo and behold, Reb Shlomo Kugar says, this, is, this issue does not bother me at all. 
I think that as far as the issue of Mishima of uh, Lishma, I don't think it's a problem. Because he talks about the fact that the the people who run the machines can have the idea of Lishma. And he discusses, in general, any baking process that's done by fire. You put the you put the uh, material in, and it's baked. So, who does the lishma itself? So he said, "I, I don't it doesn't bother me." In Shiva Lamed Hey, he says clearly, "I think the machine is like you do it yourself. The people that work in the machine are doing it. What do I do? What do I care if they do it?" This way you do it, that way. If they do one matzah at a time or a lot of matzahs, they do it. And then he talks about the sugya, the famous sugya of Gadol Amir al-Gabav, when uh, a non-Jew does something, but you stand there and inf- instruct him how to do it, if that's considered lishma. And again, this is not the main issue. So what is the main issue? Why is he so, ob- so, so the object so much? So in Tshuva number Lam Dalit, in Tshuva number Lamed Beis, he begins by saying that I, what bothers me, first of all, that it's something new. I don't want to have changes in in practice. When you talk about mitzvahs, Mitzvahs should be done in the old-fashioned way. And he says, in, uh, more clearly in Shuvah Lamedalid, Even if there would be no reason at all to stop, we should refrain from such a practice. Why? Because you shouldn't make new things. Other things can be done. New, but not when you come to mitzvahs. Now when it comes to Minagay Yisrael. Also, he discussed the economic situation. There were many poor people, apparently, who were involved in the hen matzahs, and they made a living from baking matzahs for Pesach. Once you would institute Machine matzahs, their parnasa, their livelihood would be affected. And these were the two main reasons that Rabbi Shlomo Kugar opposed making machine matzahs. The people that opposed matzahs because they were afraid of that the machine matzahs were chametz, that would have to be determined by the quality of the machinery. It seems to me today that the machinery that produces Machine matzahs is much more effective in stopping the possibility of chametz than any handmade matzah. I've baked matzah by hand. I've gone to factories that bake matzahs by machine. And it seems to me the, it's much more problematic. The problem of chametz is much greater in a hand matzah than in a machine matzah today. The machine matzahs are very, very uh, effective, very mishuchlal, very well done. So... The only arguments you could make today would be the lishma, 
Parnasa issues, you'd also have to revise your thinking of what is the situation today. It's just interesting to note how Rabbi Shlomo Kugar opposed machine matzahs for more economic reasons and more social reasons than any practical reason, any halachic issue involved. In general, that was an approach of Rabbi Shlomo Kugar and his time, as we've seen by other gdol in the Chassam Selfer, that new things were very much afraid of. Today we saw how he rejected the writings of Rabbi Moshe Mendelssohn. He was opposed to machine matzahs, and he insisted upon wearing a yarmulke, and he really felt the at least the simple interpretation is you should cover your entire head.